Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, my friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are so excited to be rejoined by our good friend, Matt Wursta. And if you missed his first episode, please go back. We release it April 29th. And let's see, it was episode number 68. So if you want to hear more about the Worst Agency, how it got started, and several of the things we talked about, I can give you a few highlights here. Uh, some of the things we discussed in that episode were uh, the fact that people want to do business with people that they like. So learning to ask questions like, what are your dreams and where do you want your business to go uh, are helpful ways to figure that out instead of just asking questions about yourself. Uh, second, we talked about focusing on helping everyone succeed, looking for those win-win situations and how that's a huge principle that has guided Matt and his agency. And the third is that if your employees are delivering excellent work, the looking busy for the boss mindset is a waste of time and harmful for your culture. And I love that. Anytime we can get that kick to the curb, you're going to have so much of a better, more productive, enjoyable culture. So again, so many things to go back and listen to that we already discussed. But today, first, I want to just welcome you, Matt. Thank you for being here, buddy. Of course. Thanks, Drew, for having me. It's always a pleasure. And then second, I would love just to get a quick update and celebrate a few things that have transpired since we checked in with your company in April and, and uh, where you guys are at today. Yeah, it's been an excellent year. I can't uh, I can't say enough good things about the team. So we, we since got the number 17 fastest growing in Texas uh, from Inc., as well as 440 on the Inc. 5000. So we've stayed in that top 10% two years running wow. now. Um, and we, I'm, I'm almost positive. I have to check, but I'm pretty sure we doubled headcount. Or it's damn close to doubling headcount since we uh, spoke last. So we've been we've been growing like crazy and um, living through this this. Um, world of magical hiring that everyone's in right now. And we've been able to, to grab a number of folks and really bring them on and, and get them acclimated. So it's been great. Well, I'd love to actually ask about that. You know, the, the guest that we just had on, um, Mike Papowski had the same thing and it was so encouraging to hear because so many people that I've interviewed in the podcast are really having a hard time finding help and the great resignation as some people have called it or the shortage in the labor force. I was joking with, it's not really a joke, but I was joking with him that uh, even this weekend, me and my wife and three kids went to go have lunch, and the sweet people at the restaurant had to ask for our patients because they only had three people working, and that just seems to be you know very common right now. So to hear that you're able to hire is is really encouraging, and I'm just curious if there's been anything you guys have found or been able to do that you think has allowed you to still find uh, to still find uh, adequate and great hires. Yeah, sort of like we talked about in the last podcast. I, I still feel like it's talent related. I'm sorry, it's culture related, not talent related. That we we start on both sides, right? We have a we had a number of folks leave too. We had three or four um, that departed, and in each case, we said, you know, you've got to do what's best and right for your life, right? If yeah. you feel like you have this new opportunity and it's going to make your life substantially better, and we can't, you know, it's going to literally be better. Then by all means, go. And I, I don't think we've had a single. I'm trying to think about it from the folks that have departed on their own. I don't, I don't think that we have anybody like upset or mad or leave on bad terms. It's really been a situation where we're supportive and we want everyone to grow and we kind of view ourselves as a step along their journey, right? It's like if we helped you go from one place to the next and do that successfully, then great for you. 
And on the other side, we're, we're talking here, literally talking about that in the interview process. It's like, yeah. hey, not only is this a cool opportunity and not only are we growing quickly and we're helping others grow and we're, we're out trying to, you know, find the win-win in the, in the consulting world, but also, you know, we, we want to be a, a good part of your journey. So as you are thinking about it and making this decision, this isn't cutthroat. I'm not going to talk bad about your other offers. I'm not out to disparage anybody else. And the competition has been stiff. It's not like we haven't had to compete. But when we do so, we're, we're saying, look, you have to, you have to want to be here and be in this environment and be in this, in this type of, of culture, not just, you know, this person's going to get a hundred thousand and this person's going to get a hundred and two hundred and two thousand five hundred. It's like, I mean, let's be honest at that point. Yeah. What, what is the difference? Right. Um, so it, it's a lot, a lot of what we've been doing on the hiring side at the end of the day has been culture plays where it's, you have to know what you're getting yourself into and we'll be incredibly open and honest about that. And also you, you have to be excited for that. Right. Totally makes sense. Have you guys had to, or maybe you already were increase kind of your, your scope that you're, you're searching for maybe, you know, beyond just local, has that been part of the, the game? It'd be like, Hey, we're, we're more open to uh, remote and therefore we can, we can kind of look in different markets that aren't just local to, to us. Yeah. We, so we started all remote and then we heavily localized in Austin. And I would say that for specific roles at this point, we're actually working towards um, or rather we've made them, you know, remote or Austin simply because like, especially in Austin, there is an incredible talent squeeze, right? There's, you know, for developers, we are like fighting tooth and nail to find somebody oh, who's yeah. not at. With the tech scene that's growing there. Right, right. And so I just I just don't have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in the war chest to provide to get a development team together. But we we have and need these services, right? And so um, for things that are that are possible, we absolutely have open up remote. Um, I still really, I just like the collaborative elements of being together. I, I think... We've lost something in the last 18 months of people not being together physically and, and able to kick ideas around and do stuff. So yeah, uh, we did, we opened an office, we, uh, you know, decked it out. We have uh, in-person events and we're trying to get more and more people together here in Austin to, to at least promote or facilitate some of that. Love it. Uh, so I want to shift now just to, have a, just a more of a, a, a one-to-one conversation with you about you. And again, a lot of people listening here are founders themselves. And so, uh, you know, when we first kicked off, just even before we were recording, you know, did the niceties, how are you, how are you? And he said, man, it's been a week. And uh, he asked me and I said, well, it's been a week for me too, right? And I think just that phrase alone, I didn't need to know any details. Not that, you know, you didn't need to know mine, but as a business owner, there's there's those times where it's just been a week. And I used to watch the way that would weigh on my dad, knew none of the context, but as a business owner, I could just tell when he had had a week, the way, you know, he was wearing that on his chest and on his shoulders, you know, and I'm just curious for you, how do you work through those kinds of weeks? How is that for you emotionally or mentally? Is it draining? Is it um, something you've learned to roll with the highs and the lows or yeah, let me just start there. Like, how would you process that? I just want to preface this when we said it's a week, it's a week. And then I said, it's Monday at 3 PM and it's been a week. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, I, I, it's, it's always been an interesting challenge because kind of like we were talking about, there's no, there's, there's no one else. Like when you are the founder or when you're, you know, the, the CEO, so to speak, there's, 
there isn't this opportunity to like deflect, right? In many organizations or many, many, many positions, you can always say like, well, you know, I need to deflect or I need to take time or I need to do whatever. And so, no, this is going to be our eighth year. Uh, so I've, I've had a, a lot of weeks. <laughs> so I've gotten pretty good. I think I've, I've developed some systems. Um, for me, I am incredibly regimented person. And I wasn't always, in fact, there were a number of years where I was like, I get up at 3 p.m. Or, um, and it was somewhere between it was conducive to the job and schedule I had. And I, I just like to hang out with friends. Um, but I found that if I am in particular regimented in my mornings, so I'm a 5 a.m. guy, um, I don't like to run, but I run. <laughs> it's a thing that has to happen. And if I'm prepped and ready for the day by seven, I get that extra two or sometimes two and a half hours that really lets me ground um, my mindset for the day. It's kind of a strange, I don't know, somewhat strange habit, but like a, while running, uh, I listen to um, uh, like podcasts or motivational videos that are incredibly cheesy, but think Joe Rogan, David Goggins, um, these guys saying like, yeah, it could be worse. You could have like broke your legs while you're doing seal training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did that today. And for better or for worse, I like when I hear those things and when I hear, you know, a lot of the like, um, it, it's reinforcing, right? It's sort of like the, you know, and it's in Paris, this whole thing about affirmations in the morning and like a five minute journal and stuff. When I go out for a run, uh, you know, after a first mile or so, you really kind of get into it and you, you know, start to, think about it. it's like yeah it's super hard but like it could be a lot worse no one's literally dying also you know we're 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 just solving hard problems so even if we don't solve them well the first time we'll learn from that and we'll move forward and so being able to like, get myself grounded in this mentality that like, <laughs> all, all struggle is opportunity to learn and the more you yeah. learn the more lucky and the better you're going to be um that's a really it's like a pivotal way to start the day so i, I always start there and then you know, the truth is after you get to work by nine o'clock, everything's, it's like a free for all. And most people um, functionally understand that you have a certain schedule or set of meetings, but there's always stuff that pops up and fires that happen and all that. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I try to decompress at night, right? I try to like relax a little bit and um, not the right word is. I'm not a Netflix guy. I'm not like a watch TV guy, but we, we just try to sit and <laughs> do nothing for like 30 minutes before bed, just sit and, and, focus and sort of get prepped, I guess. Yeah. Mentally. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, all, so, it's on your mind. It's all mental. It's all in your head. Yeah. So I want to get into that. I want to get into that first, but you mentioned something about like the anchor in the morning. And one of the ways that, that we often talk about it, so we're, we do a lot of training on how do you sustain like high energy and engagement and really kind of peak performance, right? Like it's one thing to get there. It's another thing to like systematically know how to sustain it and not burn out. And one of the analogies I use is kind of like from war, like war theory that especially not now, but back in the day when it was a lot of just people on the ground fighting each other, it was easier to defend a hill than it is to take a hill. And so if you can get up the hill and to me, hill is like being in the right place, emotionally, mentally, physically turned on before the war even starts. It's much easier to defend that position throughout the day and try to kind of stay in that positive mindset or stay engaged and energized than it is to start the work day and start the, the battles at the, in the dumps. And then you're trying to fight your way up into a better mindset or fight your way into, you know, a, a better engagement with your, your, your day. 
And that's, that's kind of what I think why people so enjoy and find so much return on their investment with kind of a morning routine is they're able to take that hill before the day, really the emails have come in before the stress has come in. And it's much easier to kind of defend from that position and defend is the wrong word. It's not like you're in a defensive stance, but like maintain that peace or maintain that perspective is easier than fighting for it. You know, once nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock happens. Is that, is that true in your experience? Um, it is, I would, I would word it slightly differently. I would, I would call it, um, like control most where, you know, everybody's had their days, right. I got my, my shot or whatever, and I was out of commission for two days. And so I missed my mornings or I, I was getting up at eight 30 and like four hours behind. <laughs> oh my God. What is going to, you know, by the time you start your day, you're behind and you're behind even more by the, you know, the first two hours and, and the, the ability to exert control, uh, let's call it on the day yeah. early. I'm up early. I didn't hit snooze. I didn't stay here. I ran super annoying. Did it anyway. Got it. Got it out of the way. I got my exercise out of the way. You know, I went through the morning routine, showered and shaved and all the things. And now I'm, you know, I, I've established mentally that I have control over the, over the day. And it's, you know, it's um, cadence. And then you, you move into the next phase of the day, right? The reality is if you're getting up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning, you actually have an extra half day on everybody else. Yeah. And you, you're really, I don't know, staking in the ground this idea that you can take control over the, the first part of it. And just, for, again, everybody teaches their own right, but for me, it puts me in a really nice place um, to be stable and to feel in control as you go into the, the next fun part, the work yeah. part. Yeah, like you're kind of on your toes instead of on your heels coming into the day. And that leads me to my next question for you. And by the way, none of these questions do I expect you to have the perfect, like you figured it all out. It's more just a conversation. Uh, I'll reference, in fact, that like my dad is definitely one of my heroes. And so I want to give him credit that like most of what I learned from him was really great. But like my kids will with me. There's going to be some stuff that they're like, well, dad didn't do that great. Or, you know, this is something I'm going to have to figure out that he couldn't figure out. And I noticed for him that if something was particularly um, weighing on him, right? Let's say something was going on with his employees or his business or whatever, and he couldn't shake it, it would just stay on him. And it was visible to everybody. Like whatever stress came home with him, and it was a, a, almost a palpable weight on him that kind of transferred to us. And I remember thinking as I started my own business, I got to figure that out. You know, I got to figure out if something's weighing on me, how do I, how do I get out of that or discharge it and not let that transfer to my night or transfer to my kids or my wife? And it's still a struggle. So it's like an active question for me. If you ever have something that's just weighing on you, you know, there's some things that are just sticky, like, man, it just keeps coming up in my head or it's emotionally disturbing to me, you know, that people aren't happy. Like for me, if a client's unhappy or if an employee or someone's unhappy, like that just sticks with me like all day, any gap I have, I'm just like, Oh, how do I fix this? How do I fix this? You know? Um, is there anything that helps you, whether it's really practical or end of day routine or anything that helps you kind of get out of that state or kind of get that off of you for a period of time? It's a, it's a struggle for me too. <laughs> the, the ability to compartmentalize in its truest form feels very disingenuous to me. And you know, you, you might've heard, like I, I'm pretty open about everything with everybody. I, I don't feel any, re like everybody's on a journey, right? And we're all trying to figure the journey out and 
everybody's at different places in their journey and, and everybody's, you know, working through different things, but the ability to, to truly just like turn it off isn't uh, yet the nut that I've cracked. I can say that, you know, I've had similar challenges or have a bad day or, or, you know, um, recently let somebody go and like, that's, that sucks, man. That's like, there's a whole, uh, this whole idea that like, it doesn't fit and like the culture is wrong and it's okay. And it is okay. It's in fact, probably better for both parties, but it still sucks yeah. in an investment. And you know, people are good regardless of their performance. And uh, I'm not particularly good either at coming home and just like turning it off. Um, but it helps me to externalize sometimes. So mm. I will, you know, um, sit my you know, fiance down, for example, and say like, <laughs> let's say, say it's, talk at for some period of time, not even talk with, but talk at. And uh, she's got reasonably used to that. And that um, it's kind of like an echo chamber, a sounding board or whatever the, the right term is to just get it out there. I think once it's out there, it's okay. I'm, I'm actually working most on letting others influence my energy, which is related. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is having a bad time, uh, for example, uh, they, you know, they come in or they're, this and that, and the next thing is terrible. Uh, I will, I will actually wear that for an hour or two. I will Same. like, oh man, everything might be terrible. Like, let me reevaluate my performance. And let me think about what everybody else thinks of me. And let me ask some questions of others. And they go down these rabbit holes where I'm trying to validate whether or not the thing that this person said is accurate, or if it's, you know, in, in the heat of the moment or, or whatever. And I'm, I'm working on better identifying when I'm doing that and starting with identification and just going through the process. Okay. Now I can know that I'm doing it. What's the trigger point? Well, somebody said that you know, something's bad about Worcester or their job is bad or something. Okay. Well, now I got to, I, I know where the triggers are and I can identify what might set me off and I have to cut it off and say, you know what, I will for 30 minutes, ask questions. And then I'm going to like make a decision on whether this is valid and put it to bed. Mm. Um, so a combination of like trying things, but I'm still in the trying things phase. I haven't yet figured out how to, you know, Zen, so to speak. Of the, yeah. Yeah. Day. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I asked, I'm right there with you. You know, um, one of the best investments I've made, which is, uh, somewhat recently but uh at some point someone asked me you know who's your coach because i'm a coach for so many people and i was like damn you're right and i realized i didn't need a coach i needed a therapist you know like i need a place where a train you know a therapist can help me think through more uh, emotional things and that kind of stuff than just business tactics and, and whatever and um what was so enlightening was this person you know after listening to me while Al said you you however you grew up you feel you feel a need to over control relationships and I was like, ah, that's not true. Like no one's ever, which is, I was like, no one's ever called me controlling in a relationship. And they're like, I'm not talking about your expression. I'm talking about the feeling you have that you are responsible for the other person's whatever happiness or their own sense of peace. Like you, you feel responsible for their side of the equation. And when that, when my, you know, Dr. Mike, shout out to Dr. Mike, when he said that it hit the nail on the head, I still don't know what to do with it yet. We're still working on that. But he, that was such, so enlightening to me. It's like, yeah, a lot of that that I put on me, like you said, other people's emotions or other people's experience, I'm feeling overly responsible for. And he's like, I love that you feel responsible for your side of the equation. You know, what am I doing? How could I be doing it better? But you cannot control their side of the equation. And it was so basic, but so simple. Yet I started to notice it. Like you said, you start to notice it. Like, oh, wow, I'm allowing that to stick to me too hard. I'm allowing that to stick to me too hard. Like, why am I wearing that right now? You know? Uh, so I don't know if that, if, if you feel that way as well, but that's been a, a big one for me that I'm starting to kind of process through. Well, I, I, I mean, I do, I do it very similarly. Like I, I, 
and it's anchored in this idea that you can't change others, but you can change you, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, there's only really one thing that I can control. I can control me and my perception and the way that I proceed and the things that I've done and all that. And so if somebody, if someone, let's say on the team or a customer or whatever is having a bad experience, my default is to examine my participation myself and like a bad combo. My also default, default mode is to action, right? I always like, I'm a ready fire aim kind of guy. So it's yeah. like, okay, what did I do wrong? And how can I immediately try to resolve it? And the reality is the active learning for me right now is there are often things you can learn and do better on, especially when it comes to like employee relations and customer relations and all that stuff. Totally. I'm still figuring it out as I go. Like I said, we're on the journey. However, I'm, I'm, I guess the best way to put it is I'm trying to put a framework together mm-hmm. to identify where it's like, it's just not related to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if you're talking about stuff, it's just objectionably not correct. Uh, you know, we, we had a situation where, um, the, the person was saying that we don't, give discounts and i'm like like 86 percent of our customers get discounts what are you talking about right? yeah and i and at that point i was like ah you know what actually ray dalio actually he has a really good uh, if you've not read principles um life and work great book but also functionally is a very similar concept when it comes to feedback and the way that um you should interpret feedback from qualified individuals and non-qualified individuals so if you're talking about finances and an accountant wants to give you feedback like listen but if the marketing guy wants to give you feedback, it's like, well, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but you know, and it's the same concept. It's like if we're in the situation and I feel myself wearing the emotion and there's a lot of negativity and I can, I can uh, identify or I can stake in the ground some objective, objective thing that I can measure that is like just being conveyed as false. It's like we don't, we don't ever give discounts. I'm like, okay, well, time out. Everything else in this conversation is going to get like rained a little bit differently because I think that your perspective might be off and then it becomes not a, what can I do to fix it uh, situation for me, but it becomes a, how can I assume the perspective of the other person? Mm. And that whole idea of assuming the perspective of the other person is incredibly challenging. Um, but often, um, a really good escalation, I guess, tactic or, um, the, the, the way to resolve some of that stuff. It's like, what, what do you see? Cause I don't see what you see. Yeah. I get it. This guy's red in your world. I understand. But like, I know how to measure the color and the definite color is not red. So let's figure out what you see so that I can, I can try to see it through your eyes and then, and then work through it. And I mean, I think that's helped. It doesn't help the core problem is like, how do you not wear it around? But yeah. it's definitely started to build a, you know, a long-term framework for me to, to move through stuff like that. Yeah. I love that idea of principles. That was actually when I was asking Dr. Mike a while ago, what do I do about this? He said, you have to, you have to engage and then you have to engage with your principles. Like you need a, a framework that you use every time to navigate these relationships that you might be tempted to feel overly responsible for. And I just like that idea is like be guided by your principles that basically this is how I always approach conflict or someone being upset. And I go through this filter, whatever my personal principles are, do they apply here? Do they apply here? And then if they don't, or, you know, if you're applying your principles is still not good enough, then, you know, what, what do I typically do in that situation? You know, do I pass them on to someone else or sorry, I can't help you. And then he was talking about if it does apply, then you just know you do everything in your power within your principles to do what's right by the person. And I just love that idea of like, instead of case by case, he was like, no, just apply your principles, whatever your values are, whatever your principles are. And then from there, it is what it is, you know? 
Uh, I don't know if that's communicated clearly or not, but it, it was profound but, to me. No, it, it totally is. I mean, Ray's gone a little crazy with it. His book is like hundreds of principles, which to me, I just think it's hard to remember all of them. I'm clearly not as smart as that guy. But concept, I mean, so we have our eight principles and conceptually they're very close to the ones that I, you know, the dozen or so that I live life by. And I think um, the idea of having a framework to address challenging situations has become more and more clear to me. Like that's a, that's a requirement. And as you go through the challenges, you realize like they're often very similar. People often have very different problems that they approach in a very similar way. Right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, so how might we manage this, this class of problem? Well, this class of problem is a perspective challenge. And until you can assume the person's perspective, you can't really see what's going on and you can't address it and so on and so on. So it's, it's been an interesting there again, it's been an interesting journey because four years ago, I would have just yelled at you. Six years ago, I would have cursed you out, you know? <laughs> and so each time we've gotten, we've gotten better. I think one time I was frustrated with someone who was uh, jabbing me about problems, you know, three and a half years ago. And I, uh, what, did I what did I say in the meeting? I said, tell me about it again, Captain Obvious, and then we can move on, something like that. Yes. <laughs> that got me, a, that got me in, not yes. a standing ovation by any stretch. So it's like, you, you know, we're learning or I am learning very specifically. And you just, you go through that process and each time, as long as you're getting better. And then you're like, like you're saying in this case, I am leaning towards a framework. And as long as I'm building that framework each time, it's a little bit better. Um, I feel like I'm making good progress. Yeah. Even if the outcomes are not always a hundred percent. Well, you even mentioned just the processing with your fiance. That's been something that has taken me too long to figure out and it actually took about two it was like two or three years ago i had anxiety has always been somewhat in the background of my life which is why dr mike is uh introduced to me and it peaked where it was more like panic attacks for a season and mm. when i was talking to one of my friends who's a kind of a neuroscientist he's like well buddy part of the problem is you haven't let anybody in like however your framework is you feel bad sharing anything you're struggling with with other people. Like, I'm so used to being the person that people share struggles with with me. He's like, it's living too much in you. He's like, when the moment you start discussing it with someone, that he's like, it needs to be trusted. Almost like Ray Dalio's, like, you know, perspective. Whose perspective is it? He's like, as long as it's somebody that you can trust, the moment you start to share, whatever that is, starts to live outside of you a little more than it lives inside of you. And he said, panic attacks is your brain screaming enough. We need, we need somebody to talk to, you know? And I was like, oh man. So he's like, don't get in this trouble again. He's like, you, you can't keep wearing all of this internally. And so my wife was like, why am I not that person for you? And I was like, dang, I don't know. Like that, it's not you, it's me. Like whatever my framework was, I felt bad. Like I realized like, you know, she's got her own struggles yeah. with the kids and whatever. And like, I just, I got into this mode of like, I don't want to put that on you. I don't want to make you scared or I don't want to make you, you know, I know you care so much about me. I don't want you to be upset if I'm upset. And she was like, you are treating me too fragilely. Like, I have no problem. She's like, I look up to you so much. I have no problem sharing my stuff with you. And she's like, why are you treating me like I'm fragile? And I was like, damn, like now I'm really feeling bad, you know, but I, it has been the most helpful thing in the world to start to practice. That's what it feels like. It's practice. My instinct says when she asks how my day is to go good, it's been good. And practice has been, it's been a day. Can we, can we talk, you know, and our, our closeness has so has grown so much because of that, that like she feels let in, like we were having a particularly challenging conversation 
uh, a big conversation um, this last week. And she actually came out on the porch. And normally I would have been like, hey, you know, like, hey, I need some privacy. And I was like, yeah. I, I just sent her a text like, sit down. And she listened to this whole hour and a half meeting that was like really important in my world. And I wanted her there to like, we can talk about this later. You know, I want you to hear what's going on. And uh, man, that has just been so huge. That's like a thing I'm starting to find out is like, all right, dummy, don't wear everything. Don't keep everything to yourself. Find a few trusted people and then practice letting them in on the cares or the concerns, be a sounding board, that kind of thing. And that, uh, anyways, I think that's been big for me. It, it's that's awesome, man. And I, I, I would encourage you to keep doing that. I actually adopted this framework maybe for a similar framework, let's call it, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, well, well before Worsta, um, where I stopped like, where does sugarcoating stuff and dancing around stuff and just yeah. like said what I meant. And it's often abrasive. <laughs> and actually, uh, I started um, uh, just advising lately on the side, this, this NFT startup, because we're, we're looking around the corner and we're looking for the next technology that's really going to impact business. And uh, so I'm so I'm working with them, and they have me come to their executive meetings and stuff. And it is a blunt sledgehammer every single time. And they're like laughing, like I can't believe he said that. And I'm like, what? So I, I mean, that's that's what's up here. And at every junction, it's actually, in my opinion, it's relieving because I'm not like, oh man, yeah, shirt's blue, and like blue's not always my favorite color. I'm like, the shirt is ugly. Yeah, let's move on, right, or whatever. And it's not. By the way, I'm wearing a blue not, shirt right now for the you guys who are listening. So I'm, I'm reading between the lines here, Matt. Thank you. But it's but it, as just the plainest example in the world, it's not. Yeah. Um, it's not because uh, it, you know it comes again. We talked about radical candor on the last one. It's it comes from this position of like, I think this is going to make the situation better. So there's no real reason for me to, to sugarcoat it. And I I do that at home. I do that at work. I I do. Like I said, I talk at my fiance and I try to involve her. There's sometimes where she's like, yeah, don't, don't tell me what's on your mind. Like, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. And the truth is anybody who's founded a business knows that it's an incredible roller coaster. And one day you can be signed in a giant contract and the next day you can be getting sued out of existence. And like everything in between there, you know, we've said an employee pass away from COVID. I mean, like everything mm. that you can think of happens and you have so much, you know, so such a wide range of emotions that happen across the board that it's like one being prepared for that level of just actually everything. And then two, like being able to put it out there and work through it and, and talk through it and, and um, be consistent, not pretending with one person or group and not the other. It's like, and so I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, let's call it a version of your framework that for me has been really helpful because I don't ever have to worry about what anybody thinks I'm thinking because it's easy. If they asked me, they would know. And if they didn't ask me, they'll probably get it anyway. And our all hands meetings are like that. Hey, this month was bad. This month was good. Finances are great. Finances are bad, you know, whatever, because mm. it's like, this is, this is the transparency that helps us all be more knowledgeable and, and grow. Right. I, you know, um, even just recently I had a meeting with the, the broader managers and leaders and whatever it's a half the company. And it was like, look, uh, you know, things aren't going well in this area and they're behind schedule and I'm not happy. And I'm just like, I'm trying and everybody's trying. And I'm trying to figure out what we are doing wrong. Cause there's eight of us running in a circle in the wrong direction. And that ability to just say it out loud really helps. Um, at least from my perspective, bring everybody's eyes to it and then, and then take some action on it. 
we're not yeah. mean, right? We're not abrasive, um, but we're, you know, I am, I am consistently putting out into the world the things that I'm thinking and the weight that I'm feeling, even if it's tempered in some way, right? There's not like every third day, I'm not saying, oh my God, we're closing. Like that's not happening, right? But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's so good. I mean, you mentioned several things there about communication that I think are important to, to capitalize. Like one, just that open dialogue between you and your fiance of, there's different styles. Like I'm more of an internal processor that has to learn to share more than I'm comfortable with. My wife is more of an external processor that needs to learn when to rein it in some, you know, she, she, she's actually the one that was like, Hey, I realize I've been doing this thing called emotional dumping on you where of course I should be sharing with you, but I also need to like, not, I need to be considerate of like, she, she's learned to ask this question with me. Is this a good time for me to process this with you? And that was We're so flipped. I'm sure I'm the dumper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's still oft, it's, it's often the opposites, you know, attracted to each other. Yeah. Um, and that was like so helpful. Like that was so honoring to me when she would ask like, Hey, is this a good time for me to process this with you? And I could say not right now, but let's do it after dinner or whatever. And that helped some and then vice versa. Like I have to go against my grain of wanting to process it all internally instead say, Hey, let me let you in on this. Right. So I think that's cool. There's, it's not an all or nothing switch. It's, it's a dialogue where sometimes your fiance might be like, Hey, I love that you're sharing with me, but like, that's a little much right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like let's, let's, uh, let's keep some of that to yourself. Um, and then the other is this idea, for me, it's a framework that I think you do well. It's one of the reasons why I was so fascinated by you in our first conversation. And I know you're going to be like, oh, I don't do that perfectly because no one does. But I do think you do it really well, which is speaking the truth in love. Whereas many of us fall into one or the other category. Like we either speak the truth, but it's not very loving or considerate of the people. You know, We don't really care how we talk about it or when we say it or what context. Or my mistake is I sometimes go, no, I'll be loving and not knowing and unknowingly do that without saying what's on my mind. Right. So it's like it gets into an either or I'll either be loving, but not share everything or I'll speak the truth. But, you know, deal with it kind of thing. And I think the thing to shoot for is truth in love that you have no problem saying the truth, but you also do it in the context of for someone's benefit or maybe even asking the question, is this the right time to share this? I probably don't need to do this in front of the whole team. Maybe there's a one-to-one -one conversation. That's like what love would say in the middle of, but how are we communicating the truth? And so uh, that's, that's how I see it. And I think you actually do that really well. Well, like you said, I would argue I'm learning, but um, I appreciate that. I, I, uh, I just never, I never like corporate jobs, right? I worked at a bank and I was at Google for a while and all that. I don't, I never loved this idea of like jockeying for position and figuring out what you're going to say to who, when, and all that stuff. And I, I am, I do feel really good that I, I don't perceive us to have that. And we've had a number of surveys and asked folks and all things. I don't think we have that worst of, and it's, um, it, it's because many of us, I won't say all of us, uh, many of us act very similarly, right? It's just the way that we operate. And I've, I've worked hard to ingrain that in our culture. And I, I would hope that everybody feels good about that. Now, it's funny sometimes, like <laughs> I'm sure you came and sat with us, you're like, this is weird. But it's it's the, um, actually just hired a new manager and he like um, flipped out on somebody and we had to pull him aside and we're like, hey, mm -mm, that's not how this works here. Like <laughs> that may have worked other places, but that's not, that's not like the world we live in. That's not how we coach, that's not how we manage. I understand they did stuff wrong, but uh, tell them how dumb they are or whatever. That's not, that's not the right answer. 
because because literally it doesn't promote how we're going to like learn and do better next time. Right. What we might have well, that's a great example. Like you could say he could argue, you know, whoever this is, just as an example, we could all argue at times, but I'm just telling the truth. It's like, yeah, yeah, but we're missing that critical component. Like, how did you deliver that? That was actually tearing someone down versus building them up. You know, that was not considering their context or perspective or, you know, I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. Well, it's actually like a really good example. It's really like a case study. Like the manager person um, in particular didn't just didn't assume perspective, right? And so it was, it was a developer and a, a manager and they, you know, this, that, the next thing, you didn't deliver your code, yada, 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 like, we missed slow deadlines, et cetera. And the interesting part and the way that it ended up getting diffused is when I when I talked to the developer, what we determined in our conversation is that there is a there was a lack of common language, right? And it was like manager is, is speaking customer language, need to understand when I can test my thing, and developer is speaking developer language. I had to write an extra four thousand lines of code to make sure that the thing worked properly. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't find the right common language to communicate such that the developer guy could see the perspective of the manager, which was like, I got to answer the customer somehow, man. What do you want me to tell them? And the manager couldn't see the perspective of the developer, which was like, I put in two extra days. I'm trying, but also these new problems came up. And it was really, it was just really, really interesting the way that ultimately we got together and we diffused it in a, in a common language way, or I came and sat with them and was like, look, because both have to understand, like his job is as important as yours. You're doing different things. One yeah. of you has to manage the customer, so the other can build the thing. And if you can't speak to each other on in a language that makes sense, or that allows you to cover common ground, of course we're going to keep having these problems. Um, but my that point was we weren't. And that is the worst way to do it, right? That is like our ability to to be honest and say, okay, it wasn't done, but why? What, do we, what can we really get to and learn from here? And our, our learning was we need to make sure that if ever we find ourselves in strong disagreement, that we at least have common language. The, you know, let's call it the newly hired external management approach was like, you didn't do your job. And so, kabam, it's like, wait, time out. Yeah, yeah. Let's that's not the bit. most productive way forward here. And that's not the radical candor way forward or the way that, I'm going to call it, start calling it the worst way. It's not the worst way, right? We we want to make sure that we're looking for the opportunity for everybody to grow, and that's not a way for everybody to grow. That's a way for one guy to feel good and the other guy to feel bad. It doesn't help the customer. It doesn't help us. Yeah. It doesn't really help anybody, right? Yeah, oh, I love that. And that, that's next level when we can approach a problem with curiosity, you know, and we can, we can say, I want to know what happened here for the benefit of all of us. Where do I need to learn? Where do you need to learn? You just end up coming with growth opportunities instead of just like a, that was annoying, you know, that was annoying. We just moved on and now we're, we have some, a little division between us. Uh, so well done on your end. My, my last question that I know, uh, you're, you're busy. I'm going to let you get going here, but this whole conversation has really been about stress management, you know, and how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we shift out of it? How do we, you know, properly kind of stand under it? And I'm curious, one of the more recent things I've been experimenting with that I found some some uh, validity to is I was listening to Dr. Andrew Huberman, uh, who has the Huberman Lab podcast. Uh, he's a researcher out of Stanford, really brilliant guy. And one of the things he was talking about was actually using breath work to change the state you're in. That it's like kind of the body's quickest and most efficient way to change your brain state that if you're kind of in a fight or flight state where you're just really stressed and you can't seem to shake it, you can have a longer, more difficult route getting there mentally. We usually try to think our way out of it. 
and that's not wrong, but he said it's, it's going to take you a while. But if we can change our breathing, it has this, you know, kind of reverse effect where if we can change our physiology, it starts to change our psychology. And so I, I experimented that with, a, a, you know, in the last few months where if I couldn't get a feeling to go away, man, I just can't shake that like, oh, I let someone down or, you know, whatever. Uh, I started experimenting with some breath work and it's been really helpful. And so I'm curious if, if you've experienced, experimented with that at all uh, as well, or am I just talking nonsense right now? No, it's, it's, it's uh, totally for real. There's a, an interesting, uh, is it the, I think it's a vagal nerve. Yes. The, the whatever that you can stimulate by doing breath control. And like, we're getting a little Wim Hof here, but uh, you can, I think for, for me, it's four seconds in, four seconds, the wait, box breathing. four seconds out, right? Square yep. breathing. And um, something that's really, really interesting is if you're running and you feel yourself, I um, like getting a side stitch or, or becoming incredibly fatigued. Or I winded. just heard about that. So literally, literally slow your breathing down. And so what I can do is I can, at this point, and again, like this is how neurotic I am, I'm like running, listen to, you know, David Goggins yell at me and like checking my heart rate and I can bring my heart rate down while running um, by doing a practice, very specific um uh, like uh, breath sequences or whatever, right? Like yeah. box breathing or, or um, square breathing. And it, it isn't, um, for me, it's not as relevant when I'm triggered, let's say, because I can, I'm getting really good at telling when I'm triggered and saying like, okay, we need to take a couple minutes here and like time out. Um, but it's absolutely true. You can, you can breathe your, you can properly breathe your way to being calm, to being able to perform better, yeah, and to being able to to change your mindset, even if you're just um, like you said, anxious or whatever, it's it's hard. It's in, it's, it's incredibly hard. But best way to practice is while you're under stress, running up a hill. Like oh my yeah. god, I'm running up a hill. Let me see if I can stop breathing while I'm doing it, uh, which is which is challenging, but incredibly yeah. effective. So those were the two things that he meant. Well, one of them I'll I'll mention the second, but he he mentioned box breathing, which is four second inhale, four second pause, four second exhale, four second pause. And doing that first, you know, however many times you want to go through that until you feel, you know, that change in state. And what I mean by state, it sounds like so new agey, but if you think about like H2O, depending on how agitated or calm those molecules are, it can be in a solid state, a liquid state, or a gas state, right? And so we are the very similar. We can be in a calm state, we can be in an agitated state, you know, an angry state. And so that's what I mean. Like, how do I get out of an anxious state if I don't want to be in that? or an overly like stressed, overwhelmed state. And so I've been experimenting with this breathing. And one of the things he was talking about too, is it's the ratio of inhale to exhale that triggers your body into whether it needs to speed up your heart rate or slow down your heart rate. And I just, it's like, all right, that's, that's helpful information. Almost like no one gave us a freaking user's guide to the damn body. And I didn't know that I could tell my body if it needs to increase my heart rate or decrease it based on the ratio of my inhale to my exhale. And so the second one he gave me, I actually use the most, is if I need to slow my heart rate down and I need to like, he calls it a chemical flush, where if your body is full of, you know, um, if it's full of adrenaline or noradrenaline or cortisol, things like that, you gotta flush that kind of out of your system, otherwise you're still feeding off all those chemicals. It's a double inhale with a very long exhale. And so you basically take as long of an inhale as you can sharply and then you actually do another one, which is weird because you feel like you can't take any more breath in, 
but you can. And then you do a very long exhale. By the time I do two or three, you literally feel like you're high. Like your head is, you have a buzz. You're like, oh, and that's not the point. But like, you know, it's freaking doing something. And then I'll notice it actually like snaps me out of whatever kind of cocktail was in me. It starts to flush it out. And I can like think a little calmer. And he said, what's interesting is he said, it's what like Navy SEALs and different people will do in the middle of combat. So like, let's say they literally just got into an actual altercation. They had to shoot someone. They had to do whatever. They're going to be, their adrenaline's pumping so much that they're going to be laser focused actually like on that person and they won't be able to take in their surroundings. And so they'll have to do a double inhale and a sharp exhale and do that over and over again to like clear their brain of all the adrenaline so that they can like think strategically, like where is everybody else? Are there, is there more danger coming? And I was like, oh, that's kind of how I feel. Like I can't get out of this. I'm so focused on this feeling or so focused on this situation that I can't you know, be present with my wife or be present with the next situation. And I just started trying it. And I was, man, really impressed at how that, how that's helped me. Yeah, for sure. And I say, my, and like I said, I know square breathing is something that special forces and, and all them, you know, Navy SEALs use. I remember, I think it was Jocko Willenick, however you say his last name that, mm-hmm. that I heard that from something like that, but I say, tried it and I was like, Oh, actually that was really effective. So got it. All right. Yeah. I see. <laughs> When it makes sense, it's like if your kind of brain is affecting your physiology, sometimes your physiology can go backwards and affect your brain, you know, where it can kind of like reverse engineer it. Like, all right, well, then let's deal with the body first, and then we can get to the thinking our way through it versus trying to think your way. Like I heard, I think it was Einstein, it was like, you can't solve a problem with the problem, you know. It's like you can't, if thinking got you in trouble, thinking's not going to get you out of it. You got to kind of attack it from a different angle. Um, and so that just made it more simple for me. Like, all right, man, your brain's not, uh, not working for you right now. So let's, uh, let's work with our body. That's why I think people like yourself, like running, exercising, you're like putting your body through something that can help kind of retroactively, um, help the, help, help your psychology out. Love it. Sure. Matt, man, thank you. Thank you for showing up in the middle of one of those days, in the middle of one of those weeks. (laughs) And uh, sharing with us and and letting us into some of your practices and perspective, as always, it is really fascinating. Um, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our audience has as well. So I appreciate you making time to be here today. Sam, I'm always happy to be here, Drew. This was great, and I, I really appreciate the time. Awesome, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.